Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! Hello and welcome to episode, what is it now, 31 of One Step Beyond, the show that encourages you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. And for many people, there is not much more of a perceived step outside their comfort zone than taking on an ultramarathon. There is perhaps an Ironman. There might be climbing Mount Everest, but certainly if you are a weekend runner, and a lot of people are weekend runners, by which I mean you're somebody who goes out and jogs a few miles at the weekend, maybe does a local 5K. The thought of taking on an ultramarathon is so far off your radar that you are potentially going to think that those of us who do it are lunatics. Now, I have just come off of doing a race called Manitou's Revenge. It's here in the Catskills. It's 54 miles, as you will hear, uh, because not every race can be an exact rounded number. In fact, it's 54 something. I just heard it described by the hosts of the Pain Cave podcast who are experienced ultra runners. One of them, Jay Friedman, called it the toughest 50 miler in the country. The other host, Philip Vondra, who is an extremely experienced ultra runner, said, yeah, toughest 100k on the East Coast, 100k being like 60 something miles typically. Now, I know the listenership to this show is relatively mixed. Some people are athletic. Some people are not. We have done shows about here about photographers, about people who set up art colonies, um, people who've just chosen to travel. It's not necessarily been about people who have done athletic things. But the main thing I want to get across, I'm jumping into this straight away, is that if you think this is beyond you, that's great. It probably is for now. But what I'm hoping to do with this episode, this this show and the one that's going to follow it, in which I'm going to be speaking with uh, four people who have competed in Manitou's Revenge either this year or in recent years, and a good cross-section of people, is I want you to hear the stories that everybody starts somewhere. Uh, very, very few of us are born athletic. Very few, few of us come out of the womb and start lifting weights or running or, or cycling, you know, don't think we quite have the bodies for it. There may be some genetics involved. Very often it's a matter of picking up somewhere in life that there's something that you like doing and that as you do more of it, you realize you're actually quite good at it. You might be a little bit predisposed towards it, but you know, it's degree of practice. If it doesn't make perfect, it certainly helps. So that's the first thing I want to say to anybody who's tuning in and says, all right, I don't want to hear about your brutal day out on the mountains doing like this crazy 54 mile day. The other main point that I'm hoping will come across in this episode and the one that follows is the sense of joy that you can have, if not always in the middle of doing one of these events, because to be honest, there's a reason that that podcast is called The Pain Cave, then certainly afterwards, 
when you realize what it is that you've achieved, the tests you've put upon your body and the fact that they've come through them. And also the joy that you can have while you're out there feeling very, very free, feeling that you are a machine of some kind, albeit just a machine, you know, that's put on this planet by nature. And some of the laughs and chats that you can have with other people you meet along the way, and especially the sort of fun and games and camaraderie you encounter at the aid stations, which are such an important part of the ultramarathon experience. So on this episode, I'm going to be talking to Mike Sudi. He is not only a very, very good runner himself, but he is also the co-race director of Manitou's Revenge. And so by calling this episode running an ultra there's a slight double entendre there because we're not only going to talk about the whys the hows the wherefores of the actual running on your feet but we're also going to talk about what's entailed in putting on an event like this it's maybe my hope that the energy you'll hear in the exchange between myself and mike might uh, influence you in some small way to consider what your next outdoor event could be. It probably won't be Manitou's Revenge unless, as Mike states very clearly about qualification requirements, you're already doing something pretty serious. But there are, as you will also hear on this interview, other events that you can consider entering as an initial foray, I guess, into this ever-expanding, it should be said, and growing sport. And it's also my hope that even if you have no interest in ever running an ultramarathon, that you've listened this far with the idea that you may actually just enjoy hearing other people talk about it. We suffer, so you don't have to. And with that, I'd like to invite you to either sit back on the couch if you're one of those not inclined to take on an ultramarathon, or if you're just going out for a run or a hike or something similar, put on your correct footwear. I did see a couple of people doing Manitou's Revenge in the lunar sandals we discussed in the previous episode. I think I saw one person with some form of Vibram five fingers. Didn't see anybody barefoot, which isn't to say it couldn't be done. And while you're at it, make sure you take water. It gets mighty humid out there. Do pack a map or a compass and be sure to let people know where you're going. And then join us as we go one step Tony here. If you've been enjoying One Step Beyond, and especially if you enjoy the fact we don't have ads running through it, please consider dropping something in the tip jar. Think of when you encounter a busker. You like what you hear, you put some loose change in the hat, and you go about your day knowing that you're doing your own little part to encourage creativity. Just look for the Support This Show link on whatever app you're using to listen along, or visit supporter.acast.com forward slash one step beyond. Thank you. And now, on with the show. So explain to me the background of Manitou's Revenge. Why did you think that our particular area needed that race? Well, so the, the history of Manitou's is, is somewhere in early 2012. Uh, I got a call from Charlie Gadel, my co-director uh, of Manitou's, and he had this crazy idea uh, to put on a 100-miler uh, through the Catskills. There had been you know, the escarpment trail run in the Catskills for, at that point, about 35 years or so. Um, but no other distance uh, races. Um, and, you know, if you've done Manitou, escarpment is basically a sprint. 
And, uh, I, you know, I think there was just a, um, an evolution of, of ultra running um, in, in terms of its popularity in the country. And there were a lot of 50s and a lot of 100s popping up. And uh, Charlie just decided um, the Catskills uh, needed to represent um, in, that, in that universe. And so I got a call from him and went out to dinner with him and uh, Dick Vincent of the Escarpman race. And uh, it was uh, Joe Brown, Tom DeHaan, Stuart Dutfield and I. And we went out and had dinner and laid out maps and just started looking at possibilities. Um, and uh, Charlie had it in his head that he wanted a hundred miler. And I, I don't know whether it was at that dinner or whether it was later on, but I remember Dick Vincent saying to, uh, to Charlie, do you want anyone to finish your race? And Charlie said, well, yes. He goes, well, then don't do a hundred, do a 50. Uh, and, and so looking at you know places to start and stop, it, it just perfectly fell into place with this just over 50 mile distance. Um, which is much better than just under 50. We always want to run a little bit more rather than a little bit less. Um, and it just, you know, the aid stations just fell into place. We're like, oh, you just every six or seven miles, you have a logical place to have an aid station. And and that was it. That got the they got the ball running, and uh, and we were we were just off from there. This is not your regular 50 mile race, no. is it? No. And can you describe what makes uh, Manitou's a little bit special? Well, uh, Manitou's Revenge is more of a long hike with some jogging, um, more than it is a running race. So just to, you know, compare to other, other runs, I mean, people can run 50-mile trail races in five and a half hours um, at, the, at the top end, five and a half, six hours. The, the course record of Manitou's is just under 11 hours. And we've had some pretty elite runners uh, come attempt this thing. You know, the, the majority of the race is just not runnable in the traditional sense. You're, you know, climbing up routes and, and rock ledges. You're going down similar routes and rock ledges um, where if you're crazy at the front of the field, you can jump some of it, but everybody else is, is taking their time, picking their way down through these, uh, through these ledges that are, you know, ubiquitous throughout the Catskills. Uh, and then when the trails do sort of straighten out and flatten out, they're just littered with rocks. Um, the, a lot of these trails are, are not used very much. Uh, so they're, they tend to be a little on the overgrown side. They tend to be very narrow. Um, you know, you think about single track, well, these might be half track sometimes um, because they are so narrow and you're constantly, you know, trying not to get hit in the head with branches um, if you're moving at a high rate of speed. And just it just makes it very... Uh, physically demanding, but also mentally uh, demanding to keep your attention um, uh, on your feet and the rest of your body for that amount of time. Um, and it, it's just a different kind of experience than a traditional 50 mile running race. You know, locally we have Rock the Ridge in New Paltz, and that's just basically you're running on crushed gravel. If I've got this right, we've got 15,000 feet of climbing on Manitou's Revenge and then an extra 1,000 feet of descent thrown in yeah. to bring us down. Yeah, to give Philippe. or take. It's, it's, it's tough with the um, with GPSs. I mean, I honestly believe it's probably closer to 16 or 17 if you were to get out there you know, with a, with a ruler, if you could, and, and somehow measure every little bit of ascent. I, I, and, and you are doing all of those extra feet with your body. So just because the watch doesn't record it, it's still real. Um, Why would somebody want to take on ultra running in general and this race in particular? Well, I think 
um, to kind of get to my sort of background in running, um, uh, I, I think it kind of can can get the right person interested in doing something like this. So my background in running is through hiking. Uh, I never ran. I was not a runner in high school. I was not a runner in college. Uh, I started hiking in my in my late twenties as something to do in the wintertime when I wasn't rock climbing, um, and that's what introduced me to the mountains. And then so when I started running in my in my early thirties. Um, it was just natural that I was running the terrain that I wanted to hike. Um, and so I, for me, the, the prospect of doing something like the Boston Marathon, you know, in my, in my earlier years just seemed impossible. How do I run for that amount of time? Uh, and while Manitou's is incredibly difficult, the beauty of it is you don't have to run that much. You're constantly getting a break. If you're, if you're a strong hiker, you're resting for you know, large amounts of the race, or maybe not resting, maybe that's not the right word, but you're using different muscle groups, you're using different skills. Um, you don't have the, in my opinion, the monotony of a road race. Um, and you don't, you don't have the same sort of issues with muscular fatigue from that repetitive motion that you would uh, with a more runnable 50 miler. Um, this allows you to kind of break it up. You know, sit down on a rock, everybody does it. Everybody walks the uphills. A lot of people walk the downhills. You know, it's just a different kind of experience um, that in some ways seems amazingly daunting, but to me, it, it seems almost easier in the long run um, because you get to mix it up so much. And yeah. as long as you keep eating and drinking and keep moving forward, you're going to get to the finish. The notion of trail running in general is that it doesn't have repetitive motion, repetitive stress. Right. That's one of the reasons I really enjoy it. And for all that something like Manitou thoroughly beats you up, I mean, it's an incredibly intense day out. You may, you may end up with some cuts and bruises. You may end up potentially turning an ankle. That's always a possibility, but you don't get that kind of fear that you're going to get uh, uh, a runner's knee, some kind of like real repetitive stress injury that you would pull off of doing a, a, a lot of road marathons. But for the most part, if you don't approach it as a race race, like you need to be running this thing, having you know, somebody who goes out and hikes 10 hour days could probably hike this whole thing in. What is your cutoff time? It's traditionally been 24 hours. Um, this year it was supposed to be 23, but we relaxed that because of the COVID issue. We, we thought we were going to have some wave issues, but um, I mean, I, I think, I mean, Charlie and I kind of differ on this a little bit. I think that the cutoff should be a little bit tighter um, just because I, I feel for the aid station workers sitting out there at three in the morning um, but, uh, you know, we would never bring it under, under 20, 21, 22 hours, something like that. It's a, it's a long cutoff for a 50 mile. What do you think is the appeal of ultra running in general? Let's take it from the other side. Let's take it from somebody who does have a road marathon or two under their belt and says, what's this ultra running all about? And they're approaching it from that rather than long distance hiking. What would you say to those people in terms of getting into a sport like this? Personally, for me, the appeal was always to try and find my limit, um, just to see what you can do. Um, you know, you can, if, you, if, you, if you're a road marathoner, you've also presumably done half marathons and 5Ks. So you understand the intensity level in a 5K. It's just everything you got. And then when you're going to a half marathon, uh, you're going to run it maybe 90% effort and try and keep that up throughout. Whereas a marathon, you might bring it back to 80%. All you have to do is keep shifting your effort level back a little bit and you can keep going further. Um, 
And for me, it was, it was always just about like, how much can I see in a day? Uh, I don't like to backpack. I don't like carrying stuff. I'm pretty lazy like that. I'd rather just put a couple of liters of water on my back with some bars and just see how far I can go. Uh, and if I, if I regulate that pace, I moderate that pace. Um, it, it turned out with, with a little bit of practice that I could go pretty damn far. And that was appealing to me, just seeing as much of specifically the woods and mountains and peaks and summits um, as I could. It, you know, it opens up doors for doing things like the Presidential Traverse in the White Mountains, the Pemi Loop, the Great Range in the Adirondacks, the Devil's Path in the Catskills. Like, you just get to have these experiences um, out there on the trails that, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's a, a million times better than, than running on the roads. Um, and the other thing about, about ultra running is the vast majority of the time, your training might be solo, but you're out there with friends. You're out there with people. There, there is a, a community um, that, you know, Charlie and I have tried to foster with, with Manitou's and our other race, the Cat's Tail uh, Trail Marathon. We get the same people back over and over and over again. They're, they're, they're friends that we see at races. Um, but you get out there with them and you share time on trails people. You get to learn about people. You get to share, share stories and, you know, you get to laugh and, 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 you know, talk about crazy things and talk about serious things about the world and, and not so serious things about the world and crack jokes. Um, it's just that whole experience that you're going to get in an ultra running environment. I don't think there's a lot of that happening, you know, on a road marathon. I think people are just gasping for breath and, and trying to suck down some Gatorade uh, and make it, you know, make it to the finish line. I think that's a really, really good point. I think the first time I did it, I was having a conversation with somebody I just met. I knew the way up from the back of Willow to the top of Mount Tremper because it was my home mountain. I was like, just run with me. I know where it's flat. I know where we can run it. I was with that person all the way up the back of that. And that was sort of whatever, 16 hours into a day and still having conversations yeah. with people. Um, and you're also very, very, very right about the sense of just community overall. Um, which brings in the point you've mentioned about volunteers being out till three in the morning. I was out till six in the morning, uh, three years back when we uh, had somebody coming in, coming in late. Another aspect of ultra running, maybe more so than road races, which also need volunteers. You need very, very fit volunteers to put on something like this, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Our, our volunteers. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's no way the race happens without just an amazing gang of volunteers out there. Um, hauling up, you know, 30 or 40 gallons of water to an aid station. Um, the shortest hike is three quarters of a mile with probably almost a thousand feet of gain. Um, we have aid stations that are a mile and a half, two miles in. They're hauling up all kinds of fluids, food, uh, snacks, first aid equipment, um, you name it. They're, they're hauling it out there. Um, and so when you're, you know, running through the woods and you're 17 hours in and you're, you're about to pass out and you're delusional, Oh, there's, there's a little oasis with people with Coke and potatoes, you know, and watermelon. They, they haul watermelons into the woods. These people are crazy, you know, and, and we, we absolutely love it because they get into the, 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 the help aspect, the aid aspect of the race. They want to be there to support these runners even if they're not runners themselves, we get a lot of people that don't do this stuff. I mean, they're fit, but they're not ultra runners, but they just think it's such a crazy, amazing event that they volunteer year after year after year. We've had people spend their own money making uh, a big banner 
for Dutcher's Notch for Manitou's Revenge. We we don't even I, I, to this day I don't know who made it. I don't know. Someone just spent like a couple hundred bucks making this crazy banner. I was shocked. Carried out in the woods. I was shocked to see that. I know exactly what you're talking about. It said Phoenicia, forty-three point seven miles. Yeah, I don't know who made that. I swear I don't. Right. (laughs) I I mean, it it was encouraging. It meant I got ten miles under my belt. I guess. Um, You know, it's a little disconcerting to see you have a fair, (laughs) a fair old ways to go. But um, do you ever have any problems getting volunteers? Um, so far, no. I mean, Charlie, Charlie manages that. He's really good at wrangling people. Um, every year we get, we get new people that, that want to come out and volunteer. Uh, we've had people that do it year after year after year. We have a lot of runners like you that run volunteer year, run a year, volunteer year where we are uh, forever indebted, um, to those dozens and dozens of people, uh, that come back year after year to, uh, to help us out. Now, you've run this a few times, and you've kind of undersold yourself, Mike. You're an extremely good runner. Um, what do you like about your own race, and what do you dislike about your own uh, race? Well, one, I like that for um, six of the eight years I was able to run it <laughs> and, and co-direct. So I, I really appreciate my, my co-director, Charlie, allowing me to, uh, to do a lot of my work ahead of time um, get out there and uh, enjoy the uh, the trail with all of the fellow runners, and then somehow come in and work through the night at the at the finish line without dying and falling asleep, which amazes me that I can pull that off. For me, I've um, I've always been able to finish uh, Manitou before it got dark, uh, which was a, a really uh, a really cool thing. Like, yeah, we have people that run eleven hours, twelve hours, sixteen hours is kind of the the time where you. If you get under 16, you don't need a headlamp. And that was kind of always my goal is to get in without the light. And I, I was successful at doing that every time that I, that I tried to run. I just think for me personally, it's the right, it's the right distance. Um, it's the right distance. It's the right kind of terrain. It's the right amount of elevation gain where, you know, I've had good years and I've had bad years, but my, my spread on my finish times is like an hour and a half. It just suits me. Um, for for my skills and my my um, my desires, what I like to do, uh, I really like hiking uphill. I really like technical terrain. Um, I really like you know getting out there and just pushing myself and you know to to the point where I can't go any further. Um, and I have done hundred milers, and they're not as enjoyable. It's a little too much. Um, I I like the the 50, 54 mile. This I mean, let's be honest. This thing runs more like a a hundred K or a short 100 more than it does as a 50, but, um, I just, it just fits like a puzzle piece for me. Although you're saying you don't like hundreds, I feel it's important to, to just note that you do have one, um, if you got fastest known time, that's unlikely to be beaten seeing that the course is now, uh, changed. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to toot your own horn on that. You do have one pretty phenomenal achievement for somebody who says they don't like running and don't like hundred milers. Well, in, in fairness, it was a, that was another long day, uh, long two and a half days out in the, in the park. Um, but uh, yeah, I did all 35 of the Catskill Peaks in one continuous push uh, three years ago. Um, and that took me a little over 57 hours um, to do that. It was um, uh, definitely the best, uh, single best experience of my life. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about volunteers and, and crew people. I had a I had a handful of people that came out from start to finish and supported me the entire way. And I'm forever indebted to them. They know who they are. Um, I've thanked them a thousand times already. 
Um, but yeah, they were there for me at every road crossing with, you know, burritos and, and pizza and beer and you, you name it, whatever I could, uh, whatever I felt like eating, shared a lot of the miles uh, of that with me. Um, but uh, yeah, that took about 144 miles to get through the Catskills. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. I think I asked you just last week, uh, what did you say? You slept about an hour and a half total during that yeah, time? Yeah, the first night. So I started around five in the morning on a Thursday um, and I went through the night. And just as it was about to come sun up on Friday morning, um, I got to my camper and I, I jumped in bed for about an hour and a half. And when I woke up, um, I, I didn't want to wake up. Um, I, I, was, I was questioning like why I was there, why I was doing it, what I was trying to prove, you know, filled, filled with self-doubt. I'd already done, I don't know, 50, 60 miles. I forget what the numbers were at that point, you know, 18, 19 mountains. And uh, I just wanted to go back to bed. I was, just, I was so sore and achy and tired and hungry and just absolutely miserable. And then I, I realized that I've got three friends that are right there, like sleeping. Like my friend Mindy was curled up in, my, in the dog bed at the back of my truck, you know, like ready to help me out. And I said, I, I, I have to, I'm doing this for, for the people here that are, that are helping me. You know, I've got to keep going for them because if I don't, they'll never help me again if I ask, if I, if I quit. Um, and so that was, um, that was a pretty, pretty phenomenal experience for me. But once I, once I woke up from that, I'm like, I can't sleep again. Right. I gotta finish. Okay. Do people take power naps that you know of on Manitou's? Um, I've heard of people, um, taking power naps by accident. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I definitely have, uh, have heard of some people at aid stations, like, you know, sitting in a chair and, and trying to, you know, get a rest, but I don't know about any proper sleeping. Um, maybe through the night. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I have not actually heard that. I know with, with a lot of hundred miles, you, you hear about like, Oh, I just curled up on the side of the trail and, and, you know, fell asleep for 10 minutes. And, um, I think if you're with Manitou's with a 5am start, if you're taking a power nap at 2am, uh, I, I think you're not going to finish. Correct. It's just the timing doesn't really work out to get that tired at that time of day and then somehow bounce back and recover and get through. I, I think if you're in that much of a uh, of fatigue deficit, I, I, I think you're going to get cut at an aid station. Right. And that's an important point to note. There are cutoff points on events like this. It's not just 23, 24 hours overall. You have to pass right. through certain aid stations at certain points uh, for, for very good reasons. Otherwise, you're just going to be out there even longer and then people are going to have to find you. Um, Similarly, not just anybody can enter something like Manitou's. And for a lot of ultramarathons, there are entry qualification requirements. Just very roughly, what does somebody need to achieve to be able to get into Manitou's? Uh, generally speaking, 50 miler with a good amount of elevation gain. Um, you know, we, we like to say a 50 miler with 10,000 feet of gain, you've done something like that, you're, you're definitely in, or something great. If you've done 100K or 100 mile, um, we do make exceptions. Uh, for certain people that have uh, have more impressive resumes, um, but yeah, generally 50 miles or more. You just this is not the kind of race where you go out to see if you can do it. That's that's not what this is for. Um, there are, I mean, let's be honest. There's two good places where you cross roads where extraction is easy. Every other extraction point is very, very difficult. And you, if you get to an aid station and you can't go on, you might have to wait for three, four, six hours for that aid station to close 
for them to then walk you down to one of their cars to drive you back to the finish. And you're going to be carrying stuff from the aid station. You know, it's not a good situation to, to drop unless you're at Palinville or Platte Clove, uh, you know, at a road crossing. Um, so that's why we have those, uh, those very uh, stringent uh, requirements in place. Um, but at the end of the day, we also then, by having these strict requirements, we get the right kind of people, we get the right kind of field, we get the right attitude, we get people that are looking for a hard effort. We don't get people that are looking to cut corners. You know, we don't have to worry about people, you know, uh, cheating or cutting a trail or, 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 or something like that. We don't have to worry about any kind of bad sportsman-like behavior. Like, you don't hear a single complaint that a runner was doing something bad. We weed those people out with, with the, um, you know, the requirements getting into this. You only get serious runners that are, are really interested in testing themselves in the best style possible. Now, having said that, I think there were 95 starters this year and you had 20 people post a DNF, which stands yes. for do not finish. And I believe that was a record both in numbers and as a, a percentage. What would you put that yeah. down to, Mike? It's tough to say. You know, we have we always have, um, you know, someone that rolls an ankle or, you know, someone that just uh, isn't feeling well at the beginning of the race. And we get a couple of those. Um, we always get a couple of those every year. Um, we tend to get a lot of people that drop at uh, Platte Clove. That's about the 30 mile point in the race. And it's just the, the time of day where you've now experienced a, a couple of hours of, of the heat. I mean, it's always late June. So even on a cool day, it's 80. Uh, the humidity is always high. Um, and coming into Platte Clove, you have like a nine and a half mile stretch between eight stations with a climb over the uh, shoulder of Catterskill High Peak. Uh, it's just a very, very difficult climb. It just never ends. It's like six and a half miles of up before you start going back down. Um, muddy, you know, terrible, really, terrible. absolutely a terrible trail. It's yeah, miserable. It's, it's miserable. It's my least yeah. favorite part. And I would actually say if all the cat skills were like that, I would never be on the mountains. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, the, there is talk of rerouting that trail onto some more, uh, you know, manageable terrain because it's just, it's an old snowmobile trail. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just a, a muddy nightmare. Um, but yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say why we had uh, so many DNFs this year. Uh, I mean, there's theories. People are like, "Oh, it's COVID. They didn't uh, they didn't get their training in. People haven't been racing because of COVID." Uh, I, you know, it's hard it's hard to tell. I mean, I I think in the morning it was fairly cold and kind of clammy, uh, and I think it may have um, played tricks on on, on people's uh, body internal body temperatures by being kind of cool uh, with the high humidity. You're sweating. So you're, you're cool early on, which kind of lowers your body temperature. And I think once it warmed up, I think it warmed up very quickly for a lot of runners. And they were, they were not managing that uh, properly, either with too much fluid, too little fluid. Um, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to tell. It was an amazingly humid day. I've hiked and run in all kinds of conditions in the Catskills. I've, I've rarely known the humidity to stay that high all day. Um, yeah. And I think that you're probably right. It's it's another conversation, not one that we need to get into in detail now, but managing your food and liquid intake is both a science and an art and slight differences can set you one way or the other. Yeah. You know, you can over, I mean, I had a sort of an upset stomach all day, but I lived with it, but I did take the right amount of liquid. So I never felt in, in danger of, of you know, dehydration. 
Um, I probably erred in that sense on the side of caution, but hey, it meant, meant I was able to finish strong. And I, I do suspect sometimes people people think they can go out with a minimum of liquid and they'll just bounce from aid station to aid station. Uh, as you point out, there's up to 10 miles between some of these aid yeah. stations. Yeah, multiple hours. You're talking three, four hours uh, in between aid stations. Uh, but also you, you mentioned that, you know, uh, hydrating and eating is a bit of a science and an art. Don't forget that it's like 95% luck too. Like just picking the right balance on that day. You're like, I think I know what I'm doing. This worked last time, but it might not work today. You know, it's you, you just, you get lucky if things all play out as planned, even with years and years and years of experience, you still can mess it up very, very easily. Thank you for that reminder. What do, what does the uh, awards podium look like at an ultramarathon like this? What does the awards podium look like for, in terms of runners or? Yeah. Yeah. What did, what does somebody get for finishing first at an ultramarathon? Oh. <laughs> Let's see. What did they get this year? I think a pair of trekking poles, a headlamp. <laughs> Prices are pretty, pretty low. It's, uh, it's, it's more of a self-satisfaction, you know. We do offer um, cash prizes for breaking course records. Um, that, is, uh, that is up there, but it's, uh, you know, that doesn't happen too often. I, I actually had no idea that the winner even got trekking poles or a headlamp. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually thrilled that you give us a T-shirt and a pint mug, which is more generous than the escarpment run, which you need to run 100 miles. I, right. Every six years, you get a free shirt. So ultra running is not about medals, is it? It's not about no. medals and trophies, right? It is no. about about a sense of satisfaction and completion. There, yeah, there are a few races out there with some big name sponsorships, but you know, our, our sponsors are like, you know, Rock and Snow, the, the climbing place in New Paltz here, and like Bread Alone Bakery. It is completely grassroots. There, there is no big name sponsorship here. I love the grassroots. I mean, I, I could do a bit more grass out there, maybe a bit less roots when I'm actually on the mountain. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is very, it is very grassroots. Um, you did mention earlier, you and you and Charlie. Uh, we, Charlie's not here because he's out hiking. <laughs> um, he's out on a, multi, a long, long hike across the uh, the long path all the way across yeah. New, New York State, raising funds for the New York New Jersey Trail Conference, I believe, and awareness. Uh, you did uh, arrange for a third long distance trail race in the Cats skills, the escarpment being the uh, the grandfather of them all. The Cat's Tail Trail Marathon, you already mentioned it, it is pretty damn close to a 26.2 miles. Does that count as an ultra? Uh, I don't think so. But I mean, these are just definitions that are arbitrary. So um, I mean, the marathon distance is likely arbitrary anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, ultras, you know, some people will say anything longer than a marathon. So if you do a marathon and then jog around the parking lot, you've done an ultra. Um, but I think the ultra community generally thinks that around 50k is, is kind of where, where ultras begin. Um, it doesn't really matter. You know, I've done, I've done 50ks way faster than I've done cat's tail. Um, so in terms of time, yeah, it probably is an ultra uh, amount of time to be out there. I really, really love Cat's Tail. It's, it's, to me, it's this perfect balance between what you quite rightly said it is in its own odd way, a bit of a sprint to do escarpment. I think of escarpment more like a road marathon where you're kind of yeah. pushing the whole time. Uh, Manitou's, you've got to completely rethink that, go to the opposite level. And I love Cat's Tail because it's somewhere in between. You can, you can push it without killing yourself, but it's not quite at that uh, intensity of, of the escarpment. And, um, that comes around in October and 
so for somebody who may be listening and may be sold on some of this and may have access to the cat skills for my money i would say that's quite a good entry point into the world of long distance trail running what would your opinion be yeah i think it's great because um you know there you're not going to be out in the dark on that one um we'll, we'll you know we'll cut you off before that our, our cutoff is 10 hours but that still gives someone a, a significant amount of time to, to cover 26 miles the other nice thing with cat's tail is uh, as you mentioned it does kind of um, kind of split the difference between an escarpment, which is, I think escarpment is is 90% runnable. Um, yes, you have to climb up a couple of peaks that are very technical and climb down, but there's good sections of runnable terrain, whereas there's a lot less of that in Manitou from a percentage wise. I think Castile has has miles, like connected miles where you can actually run. Um, you, 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 you really can get some good fast miles in there um, you know, in parts of the race. Yes, you do climb over four of the Catskill high peaks. Yes, there are some literal rock scrambles where you are climbing with your hands. Yes, you go, you know, up wooden ladders, I guess down, sorry, down wooden ladders on the, on the backside of slide. Um, but it does have uh, substantial portions of runnable terrain. So it is a nice way to kind of introduce yourself to um, that kind of effort. Even if you're a, you know, three and a half hour marathoner, uh, Castile's going to take you six and a half, seven hours, and it's going to double your time, you know, for that distance on road for sure. Um, and it is, it is quite challenging, but much more uh, attainable than, than something like Manitou. It does not require, um, you know, the same level of, uh, of commitment to just getting out hiking mountains getting vert it's got about seven thousand feet of climbing 7500 feet something like that um so it's it's basically half a manitou yeah i love it i think it's very quote doable it's a word i tend to use it's in october uh is registration still open for that will it sell out registration is closed but we are accepting um people to uh, get on the wait list okay okay yep. you can if you go to the website we do have a website for that you can find information uh, at the uh, Cat's, Cat's Tail Trail Marathon uh, website. Use Google, you'll find it. Great. Well, actually, on on that note, although a lot of ultras have small fields of necessity and they may sell out, there's always going to be one that you can enter with a little bit of planning. There's always a wait list you can get on, though I yep. would always recommend somebody keep up their training because you don't want to get on a get accepted, you know, and not have the training. But um, the, the, your cat cell is a great place to start. Manitou's is something else. And I just want to thank you and Charlie for putting these races on because I know there's no, uh, this is not your job. You know, your day job, like you say, is teaching. <laughs> and uh, everybody does this for the fun of it. Everybody does it for the fun of it. And that has to include the people who put the races on. And we, we couldn't do these uh, events without people like you hosting them for us. So thank you, Mike. And at least you've, run it, at least you've run it enough times to know uh, how, how much fun in inverted commas it can be. You can find all kinds of information out about Manitou's Revenge, including the qualification requirements for 2022 at manitousrevengeultra.com. Alternately, you can go to the Facebook page, which has a lot of photographs, which are always fun. And that is Manitou's Revenge Ultra. Also, Manitou's is spelt M-A-N-I-T-O-U-S. And in case you were wondering, it's an Algonquin word. 
And from what I understand, the Wall of Manitou is effectively what the Algonquins called, uh, would refer to themselves as the Wall of God. So Manitou's revenge is really about this uh, escarpment wall of the Catskills getting its own back on us. I'm not going to give you any great big uh, blow-by-blow, mile-by-mile, mountain-by-mountain account of my own Manitou's revenge this year. I think it's enough to say that I did indeed complete it. And I think it's even more important that I felt like I bounced back reasonably quickly. Uh, We had a local timed mile come up in the next week that I felt the need to do. And then our local trail races started up again. And now the Escarpment Trail Run, which you heard mentioned a couple of times in this show, we are having to do that virtually this year, but I only have until the end of July to put in my time, having done it self-supported last year. When it didn't count for anything, I dare say I can do it again this year, where it will count as qualification for 2022, which we're all really looking forward to, because it will have been a two-year absence by then for the granddaddy of the Catskill races. One last thing I want to say about all of these events, Manitou's maybe in particular because of its length and the amount of time that people are out there. Volunteering is enormous fun. I've done it twice. I enjoyed it in its own way every bit as much and I got just as much satisfaction from doing that as I did from running. It's um, not just about giving back. That's actually a kind of a selfish way of looking at it. It's actually just about having your own wonderful adventure with other people at an aid station and serving as some kind of like fan club, you know, supporters. It's almost like going to a sporting event to cheer on the competitors, but being able to actually assist them in uh, their endeavors. So I just want to leave you with that. If you're not ready to race one of these things, please consider signing up as a volunteer. It might need, it might be just what gets you over the line. And if you did enjoy this show, you will definitely, definitely enjoy the next one in which I have a panel of four people who have competed in Manitou's Revenge, Cheryl Wheeler, Max Gruner, Alana Moss and a new friend I met out on the course this year, Benno Rawlingson. They will be offering tips and tricks. They will be sharing some memories, some enjoyable, some painful. And we had a number of laughs along the way. Until then, take care of yourselves and do your best to stay active. One Step Beyond is written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music is by Noel Fletcher, unless otherwise stated. The theme song is by Madness, used with permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. Special thanks to Radio Kingston for airing these episodes and for supplying studio space when not under lockdown. If you like what you hear, please consider throwing us a tip via the Support This Show button on your phone or by visiting supporter.acast.com slash one step beyond lowercase. You can also hit the subscribe button and or leave a positive rating and or review. It all helps. One Step Beyond is on social media, mainly on Instagram. Just search One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher there or on Facebook and Twitter and we should come up straight away. To subscribe to a newsletter, to reach out via email 
and especially if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, the address is one step beyond at ijamming.net. One Step Beyond is available on just about every podcast platform known to man, and most likely a few that have yet to be discovered. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active. <laughs>